So today, we are looking at the subject of the Trinity in the second installment of the series that we've entitled Heaven Come Down, What a Christian Should Believe, Why They Should Believe What They Should Believe, and, and why, it all, why It All Matters. And so last week, when we were together, I explained to you that we're not looking at everything that a Christian should believe in this series, okay? What we are looking at are the core, essential, doctrinal truths of what we, what we call orthodox Christianity. There are some things within Christianity that are essential. In other words, you have to have these to be Christian. If you don't believe these, you're not Christian, right? They're essential. We understand essentials, right? Like to cook, there's some things that are essential. I asked last week, I said, what are some things that are essential to cooking? And someone in the front yelled out, microwave, right? And I was like, okay, well, there you go. You cannot be cooking unless you have a microwave, somebody says, right? But there are certain things you have to have to be cooking. If you don't have those things, well, then you're not cooking. There's certain things you have to have for camping. If you don't have these things, you're not camping. Well, listen, these are the things you have to have in order to be Christian, right? They're the core essential doctrinal truths of orthodox Christianity, okay? In other words, old school Christianity. There are peripherals, things that we can agree to disagree on. You can still be Christian, but we're going to disagree on certain things. Those things would be like the, the second coming of Jesus as to when the rapture of the church is. Uh, you know, is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, stands for tribulation. Um, and we could agree to disagree on uh, wicked methodology, you know, you know, like, I don't know, somewhere in there, and you could have a different methodology than me, but hey, we all love, we agree on the core essential truths, and those are the people that we, we unite around the core essential truths, we, we give grace for the, you know, non-essentials, and then there's stuff called heresy that's just like outside of what the Bible teaches, and we just do not put up with, with heresy, right, we want to stay true to what the Word of God teaches us. So, last week, we laid the foundation with this, with this truth that every Christian should believe is that the Bible is the infallible or without error, inerrant, authoritative word of God given to you and I. Like a Christian has to, in order to be Christian, you have to believe that this is the living, active word of God to you. It's, the Bible says that, says that, the, the, that the scripture is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to, to divide even to the place of joint and marrow. Like the, this is a living word of God to you and I, right? And we talked about that's what we should believe. We looked at why we should believe it, all of what the scripture says and how it's accurate and all of that last week. We looked at what it all meant. So now let's start digging into God's word to us and wrestle with one of the, one of the, and I'll say this way, wade into some of the deepest waters that we can when it comes to another theological truth that we're so, we are to believe, that we should believe as Christians. And that's the, the concept of, or the truth of, the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? The Trinity. So here's what a Christian should believe. Let me give you a Trinity clearly said so you understand what it is a Christian should believe and then I'm going to walk you through why we should believe um, the tr why we should believe in this essential truth of the Trinity so here's the Trinity there's one God taking notes there's one God who exists forever in perfect community as three persons one God who exists forever Perfect community 
as three persons. And if you're not writing fast enough, you can go back and listen to this. I'm going to have it on the screen for you later on in, in our message. There's one God who exists forever in perfect community as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what every Christian should believe. And if that doesn't clear it up for you, I don't know what else we're going to do the rest of our time together. Let me explain to you why we should believe in this uh, doctrinal truth of the Trinity. The reason we should believe it is because Scripture presents this truth to us, that there is one God who forever exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All over the Word of God, we see this truth being presented to us. And if God is presenting a truth to us, we need to believe the truth he's presenting to us. Amen? So let me show it to you in Scripture. Let's start over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We read this. We can clear the back. <laughs> there we go. We read this. It says, in the beginning, we are three words in. You ready? God created. Who created? God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We read this verse, these two verses, the very first two verses in our Bible, and we are already faced with us having to grapple with the fact that maybe God is just a little more complex than we would like him to be. That maybe there's a little more to who God is than we're actually going to be able to wrap our minds around on this side of heaven. Well, Chris, I don't see it. What I see is there's God creating. That makes a lot of sense. Let me peel back the veil a little bit, show you what's happening in, in Hebrew, the original language that, that our Old Testament was written in. Understand this, that English is a very limited language. We, we only have a certain amount of colors, like red, green, blue. We can make a lot of colors with it. Well, listen, in, in Hebrew and also with Greek, there's a lot of colors you can paint with. So, for example, in Greek, you know, you've heard me say before, it's so important to understand it, that there's four different words for love. Why? Because there's different kinds of love. We, our English is just so boring. Like, we love. I love pizza, and I love my wife. <laughs> That's two different kinds of love, obviously. Well, Greek actually has different words that you can use when you're talking about your love for your wife, and your love for pizza, and your love for your friends, and your, right? But we don't get that. Same thing when you go into Hebrew. So, when, you, when we look at the word God, there's actually a lot going on in the fact that God created. Let me show it to you. God created. Here's what we see right in the beginning. We pull it back a little bit. It says, in the beginning, Elohim bara. In the beginning, Elohim bara. Okay, now watch. Elo is, is or Ella is a, it means God. Im is, is a suffix that means plurality, okay? It's a suffix that means like in our English word ease, Candy, candies, that's what em is, the ease. So in the beginning, God's, God, multiple, created bara, singular. Not singular like as in many did one, but one did one. That word is very specific, bara, one created one, okay? So you have in the beginning, plural, created singular, the heavens and the earth. And by the way, the plural, right, and the spirit of God, one part of who God is, one aspect of this complexity is hovering over the face of the earth, uh, face of the, of, of the waters. We're two verses in. 
And you're already having to wrestle with the fact that there might be something more going on than what we could possibly understand on this side of heaven when it comes to, when it comes to who God is and what God is like. Plural doing singular, okay? And if you want to keep going, in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, you get to verse uh, 26. And here's what it says. God says he's about to make man. Then God said, let us. <laughs> so you've never seen that before. Like, wait a second. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You're like, God, what's with the plurality? God, what's with the us? Why is it God said, let me make man? God said, let us make man in our own image. And people will try to explain this away. So they'll say things like, well, what God was doing, he was turning to the hosts of heaven and he was saying, let us make mankind in our image, right? And they're trying to explain away that God is actually talking about this complexity of who he is, Father, Son, Spirit, all working together as as one, but here's the problem with that. Man here is plural, meaning mankind. And God here is also plural, meaning Godkind. So this scripture could be translated, let Godkind make mankind in our image. We're one chapter in, and there's so much clarity to all that's going on, isn't there? No. You're one chapter in and you're starting to go. There's a little more going on than maybe I'm even comfortable with, right? And what I want you to see is that this idea of the Trinity is not something that man made up. It's like we sat around and came up with this whole thing. People, I'll talk about it later, but people go, well, Trinity, the the word's not in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to explain to you why we use that word. But um, it's like we had to come up with a word to explain what we see in the Bible, okay? Uh, Here in Judaism... In the very first chapter of the Bible, we have these seeds of the complexity, of the plurality of God, and they're already there. Let me go with you, go with me over to Deuteronomy. I'm going to, I'm going to, if you're not catching the pace here, I'm going to spend the first 20 minutes kind of making us look at tons of different scriptures, unapologetically just reading them to you. Like, here's what it says, okay? And I kind of want to get you to a place where your brain just goes, like, okay, glad I came to church today, right? It's kind of... I want to just show you what the Bible's presenting to us, and then I'm going to come back and, and help us understand where I believe God wants us to land with what he's presented to us in Scripture. So Genesis 1, we have all that going on. Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's head over there together in your Bibles. This is what, uh, he was called the Shama. okay? Shama literally means hear or obey, understand this, Shama. This is uh, the central decree and prayer of Judaism. Matter of fact, they pray this is, uh, in Judaism. They pray this several times throughout the day. This is actually God's gift to humanity through Judaism. Is is this understanding? This is as clear as it gets in Scripture, where it says, "Hear, O Israel, our Shamo Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what's it say? One. How many gods are there? One God. That's actually the gift that God." gave humanity through the Israelites or through Judaism is the understanding that there is one God. Up until this point, there was, they were polytheistic. People believed in many gods. So there's the, there's the sun God and there's the moon God and then there's the wind God and there's the water God and there's, the, there's just gods everywhere, right? Well, God, capital G, declares to everybody, no, that's not the case. 
There's actually only one God who is above all little g gods who created the heavens and the earth and holds it all. Like, you got to understand that there is only one God. And the, our, our, our Jewish friends hold very tightly this, praying it three times a day. But even in this, let me pull back the veil again so you understand what's happening in the language, okay? There are two words in Hebrew that mean, that mean one, okay? Two words that mean one. So one of the words for one is yakid. Yakid. It's, it's one, like number one, like you're counting. Yakid. As you would say that. We say one, they say yakid. So there's one boy, one girl, right? One meal in front of me. One, like this, it's one. There's another word for one that the Hebrew language uses. And it's not the word yakid, it's the word ikad. Okay, so ikad means this. It's a Unity made up of several parts. It's a single thing which has distinctions. A single thing in which distinctions can be made. And that's the akad word. So when you get to this, guess which word is being used when it says the Lord your God is one. It's not yakid, it's akad. In other words, it's not one as number one, counting one. It's akad which is complexity found in unity. Many making one, a togetherness. Matter of fact, when some of you know the scripture, but it says that the, the husband shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become, what's it say? One. You know what word is used there? A cod. The two shall be a complexity of multiple things equaling one thing. It's the same thing used over your marriage, those of you that are married, that is used here of the triunity of God being one. The two shall become, well, these, these three, one, same word used. Make sense? You following me? I hope this clears it all up. Matthew chapter 3, baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 Jesus, this is when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water. Okay, so let's get our, let's all follow this together here. We got Jesus, he's being baptized, John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. Jesus is coming up from the water, there he is. Everyone see in your mind, you got Jesus coming up from the water, there's Jesus, okay? Then it says the heavens are open to him, and he sees, you got now the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus, Jesus coming out of the water, and now the Spirit of God coming down to rest on Jesus. Well, all over Scripture, we read that Jesus is God, the Spirit is God, and now you've got both of them there in this one moment, and to make it even more complex, there's now a voice from heaven that's saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. So I've got God from heaven speaking, Jesus God coming up out of water, and Spirit of God descending from heaven. And here's why I bring this one up, is it messes up people. I just want to mess you up a little bit. Because here's what people do, is we try to, we try to use, we try to use illustrations, we try to use pictures to help us become comfortable with something that I just don't think you're supposed to super be comfortable with. Like you, we try to to humanize something that's, and, and, and rationalize something that's meant to just kind of push us into a place of awe and wonder. And so we'll do things like this. People will say, well, here, let me explain the Trinity to you. It's a little bit like, like God has like a super suit. And so what God does is he, he wears the super suit father. 
And he shows up in the Old Testament with a super suit father. And we see him like, like father. And then, and then God wraps himself in, in, in the other suit, and it's, and it's Jesus, you know. And then you've got, you know, the other suit that he wears, and it's Holy Spirit. And it's, it's God doing here and, and there. And wait, how do you explain this? In one passage of Scripture, God's just... Right? And one of the reasons I love this stuff is because it just kind of leaves you scratching your head. And what it does is it moves you in this place where you go, I don't know if I could really understand all of, maybe God is just a little bit bigger than what I can get my mind around. And let me tell you something, that's okay. Because listen, if you try to force God into your box of understanding, all you're going to end up with is just a bigger version of you. Worshiping just a bigger version of you, of what you understand. But friends, God is not within your limited box that you're trying to shove him in and, and get him to fit into what your finite brain can understand because you, your God is not a finite being. He's infinite. He's vast. He's, there's complexity. There's mystery in who God is. And you've just got to be okay with the fact that God is just a little bit bigger than you could bend your mind around. That's okay. On this side of heaven, we're kind of left to use words and analogies that even those don't do the trick, right? Matthew 28, verse 18. Let me show you just a couple more. You guys hanging with me so far? Yeah. Everyone all right? Come on, church, you hanging with me so far? Online, you good? Let me give you a couple more. I didn't feel really confident in that. That didn't, that didn't help me at all. That's okay. Um, Matthew chapter uh, 28, we read this, we read, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, the name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Here's what's happening. It doesn't say in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, there is one name, one, one, one genesis, one, one, one ethic right, coming from one place, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see? And that's what's happening in, in the Greek here. It's, it's not three names. It's one name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't get that. Exactly. Okay? John 1.1. 1, 1. I'll give you a couple more. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. The watch. Follow me here. In the beginning was the word. Okay, let's pause real quick and get our minds, bring ourselves back to when this was first written, first read from, um, from church to church. The Greeks, when they hear this, they hear this word, word, it's the word logos in the, in the Greek, or logos. And for them, what they understand when they hear the word logos is that um, this is the word that they use to describe the genius behind the universe, the, the, the creative power, so to speak, behind the universe. In other words, they were smart enough to look out at the universe and go, there's something more going on than this just all showed up. They would look and go, there's some kind of mind, some kind of spirit, some kind of creative power holding this all together. Everything's working perfectly. Let's just call it the logos, okay? That's how the Greeks understood it. Hebrews, they had the same word. They shared this, this word. And so for a Hebrew, when they heard the word logos, what they heard and what they understood was this, this, this the word of God, not as in ink on a page, dead and lifeless, but the word of God as in the power and the creative authority of God going out, that there was this activity in the logos. 
That by the heaven, God created the heavens and the earth with his word. It was this power that went out from God and, and a creative power that went out from God. So let's understand this from the Greek and the Hebrew perspective. In the beginning was the word. Everyone's like, yep, Greeks are good with that. Hebrews are good with that. But there in the beginning, we wouldn't have all this if, if this creative power was not there in the beginning. But now watch this. And the word was with God. Okay, okay, cool, because that's kind of like sidekick, right? Like you got Batman and you got Robin. Like Robin's with Batman, and that makes sense, right? It really means, it means this, that the, the word, this creative power was looking, this was looking at God, right alongside God. So I've got God, everyone got it? And the word looking at God with God. But now it says in the word was God. So now I've got God and God looking at God in that one passage of scripture. I've got God with God. Who's with God? Well, God's with God. Right? Well, you want to understand this even? Like, watch this now. All of a sudden, we go down to verse 14, okay? So now we've got verse 14, and the word, God who was looking at God, but who was also God, who's with God, but himself was God, this word becomes flesh, dwells amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So now this word who's with God but is also God comes down to be with us. The word uh, incarnate there means that God wraps himself in flesh, incarnate, carne's flesh. He wraps himself in flesh and comes to dwell amongst his people while he's here, it says that we behold his glory. Whose glory? God's glory. Why? Because that's God. We behold his glory as of the only begotten. Let me break this word down for you. Begotten of, of, of the Father. Begotten means it's monogonos, okay, or ganas. Mono means, everyone, come on, you know what mono means? Mono, one, right? Mono, one. And then Gnos or gnos, it, it's Genesis. Uh, it's where we get the word Genesis in English. It means species or kind, right? So you have the only one Genesis of God the Father. Same Genesis or same essence, same DNA of God the Father. The only begotten. In other words, Jesus is the only one who shares and has the same Genesis and DNA of God the Father that sent him. He is of God and he is God, revealing to you the glory of God because he is the same Genesis and since DNA of God, monogenos of God, begotten of God. And what is he doing? He says that he, he is full of grace and full of truth. It tells us that he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So that word beheld means he, the Greek word is exegesis, and he exegetes God's glory to us. What is exegete? It's what you try to do when you study scripture. It's what I try to do when I'm presenting to you scripture. It means that you take something that could be veiled and you expose it. You bring it to light. You exegete it. You take what is and you make that known. What is Jesus doing? He's taking what is and making it known to you. You couldn't know it unless it was exegeted to you. And Jesus is exegeting God to you because only he can, because only he 
is God. Yeah. Follow that? Yeah. But you see the complexity in that. God, with God, who is God, becomes man, who is God. But God the Father sent Jesus. Let me give you another one. Let me give you two more, if that's all right. John 14, again, just showing you what Scripture is presenting to us. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he gives them bad news. Bad news is, I'm leaving. Good news, he's, he's going to send another helper. And so here's what it says in John. It says, it says I will ask the Father. So I'm going away, but I, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. What's he say? He's going to give you, say it with me, another helper. Say it with me, a helper. I want you to see that there. Another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay. Jesus says, I'm going away. But guys, don't fret. And of course they would have been because these guys were spending time with Jesus. Jesus was the one leading them and guiding them and comforting them. Jesus in the flesh walking with them and helping them. And now he's going away. And he's saying he's going away. Of course they're freaking out. They're like, no way. You're not leaving us. We've been watching miraculous things happen while we're around you. We, we saw 5,000 fed when we were with you. You were walking on water. We're, we're watching ministry happen through our lives. And we're, you're, you're leading, you're guiding, you're comforting, you're giving us wisdom and, and counsel. You can't leave us. Jesus goes, I, don't worry, I'm going to send another helper. And the word he uses there for another, there's two words for another. The word he uses there for another is another of the same kind. There is in the Greek a word for another of a different kind. He uses another of the same kind. So another of a different kind is like, I watched a movie. It was, uh, it was uh, Star Wars, and I watched another, another of a different kind. What Jesus says is another of the same Star Wars 2, which really isn't Star Wars 1. It's Star Wars 3, which is actually 4, and I or something like that, right? But another of the same kind. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to send you another one of me. Okay, another of the same kind. Let me give you one more. Acts chapter 5. It's just scratching the surface of everything that the Bible presents to us. And then we're going to talk about where we land with this. Acts chapter 5. You've got, um, you got Ananias. They, they have some land. They sell the land. And they go to the church fathers. And they, they lie to them by telling them, hey, we're giving you everything we made from the land. Okay? The reality is they're only given a portion. The issue isn't that they were given a portion. The issue is that they were lying as though this was everything, okay? Okay, it's an issue. They're lying about, about what they're doing. And so here's what Peter says. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Spirit? Who did Ananias lie to? The Holy Spirit, right? And to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold, did you, did you not? Did it not remain your own? And after you sold it, was it not at your own disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted to do with the proceeds from that land. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You're trying to make yourself look like you gave it all, and you didn't give it all. You're lying, okay? You could have kept a portion, but just tell us it's a portion. But now watch this. You have not lied to man, but to who? Who did Ananias lie to, everybody? Who did Ananias lie to? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. God, the Holy Spirit. I need you to understand that. What I'm showing you is all of Scripture. 
You have places which tell you that God the Father is God. Behold, the Lord your God is one. But then you have the fact that Jesus is God. Then you have the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. And when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're, you're lying to God. And so you have this complexity that we can never fully get our hearts and minds around. And so early theologians gave this truth that you see show up all over scripture. You gave this truth a word, okay? And people get so frustrated, like, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, we had to give this concept a word, and so we gave this reality, this truth, the word Trinity. It literally means tri-unity. Tri-unity. There's tri-three unity one, three and one. There is one God who exists forever in perfect community as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what you do is as you go through Scripture, you start compiling all these verses, and then we're going to make some practical take home from this, okay? You go through Scripture, and what you'll see is all these verses kind of fit into one of three categories. Let me give them to you really quick. So as you're studying, you could look for this, okay? There are voices, verses that point to the fact that there is one God, Okay? So verses will always point to that. There's one God, one God, one God. You're going to find a lot of verses that point to that. You're going to find a lot of verses that point to the second truth, that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, okay? And now you're going to see that all over Scripture. And then you're going to see places where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all acting uh, simultaneously together like as in 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 the baptism of Jesus. How does all that work? I have no clue. I have no clue. My brain on this side of heaven can't fully understand that. It's not perfectly clear, but that's okay. I don't know if we'll ever fully understand it once we even get to that side of heaven. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 tells us this. It says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And I don't know if we're going to end up understanding what's going on when we get to heaven. Maybe that verse is alluding to pieces of that. All that I know is, is that now, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Maybe God is hinting there that we will actually get to understand some things we don't understand on, on this side of heaven so here's what we do. Okay, you guys ready? And we just had all the verses that we went through, and you could go days on that. So what do we do? Well, here's what we try and do. Some people go, yeah, I'll make, I'll make this really easy for you. Let me give you some illustrations. And here's the problem with the illustrations is that we're trying to take something vast that's meant to leave us in awe that we can never fully understand and bring it into something that we just kind of go, see, now you get it. So God is like an egg. <laughs> Come on. And I get the heart coming out of this. You see, God is like there's the shell, then you have like the yolk, then you have the stuff around the yolk, three in one, right? You see what we're saying here? Like, okay, so God's an, like an egg? And it kind of, you see, it helps a little bit, maybe. Like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't help because, come on, the Trinity's not an egg, everybody. It's like it doesn't make sense. Or, or we do the other one, like, so God's like water. You know, you've got, you've got, the steam, which is the spirit of God, right? And then you've got the, the liquid, which is like Jesus, you know, or, you know, and then you've got the ice, and that's kind of like the Father, you see, and the three, they're all H2O, but they're all different. And, and I get it, and it might help your brain kind of go, okay, okay, I see it, but you guys, 
you're never going to get your heart and mind completely around something that God meant to, to lead us into a place where we stand in awe. You have got to be okay with the fact that there are just some things about God that you're never going to fully put into your, into your brain. There's, God allows there to be mystery. If you don't embrace the mystery, what you end up with, again, is just a bigger version of yourself, something that you, you want to you, you put in a box and understand. And, and listen, this is so much bigger than that. God wants to push you into this place where you just go, wow, okay, right? But if you really, really want to get really, really close to understanding the Trinity, the early church theologians came up with a diagram that's going to clear it all up for everybody. Okay, let me show it to you right here. Okay, so if this doesn't make it perfectly clear, I don't know what will. Because see, here you've got Father is God, the Spirit is God, the Son is God, but the Son is not the Spirit, and the Father is not the Son, and this Father is, Spirit is not, and, but it's all God. You see, and if that doesn't clear it up for you, I don't know what will. Just take that home, and we ask you about the Spirit of God, about the Trinity and the Triunity of God, you just give them that, Okay. So that really, really helps. Thank you, early church fathers. What is that? That is us just trying to go, here's what the Bible says. Now, what does it mean for you and I? First of all, some of you need to reawaken the mystery within your heart, okay? And just be okay with the fact that God is outside your own understanding. And that's actually kind of comforting, right? It's just, I'm okay with that, right? Here's another take home, and let me explain it to you. This really matters, that you don't do this alone. Let me explain this to you. You don't do life alone. Listen very closely. The Bible says that you and I are made in the image of God. God who is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, experiencing perfect community and harmony, chooses out of their love to create man who is made expressly in the image of God, meaning that pressed into who you are are pieces of this triunity that you can't understand, but they're, the image is pressed upon you. And so deep within you is always going to be a longing a deep longing to experience some kind of community and harmony with others. Why? Because you're created in the image of God who is three, but one, one with three, and there's perfect harmony and unity within the triunity of God. And now I'm created in the image of God, and my heart cries out for more than just being alone because you're created in the image of God. You cannot run from that. You'll never get away from that. That's why loneliness is one of the deepest, darkest, most sorrowful emotions you can feel. Loneliness is the, often the cause of suicide because you get to this place where you just feel so alone. You were not created to be alone. You, you, you don't do life alone. There's the image of God pressed on you, and now you, the moment you take your first breath of air, as you grow, you long to experience community with others. Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that this is good. God's created, and that is good, and all is good. And the first thing he says that is not good, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. Why? Because man's created in the image of God, and therefore within man is this desire to experience 
this mystery and community and a, and a part of that on this side of earth. And the man falls and sins. And what's the first thing that happens with sin? What does sin do to us? Right? What does sin do to man? What, is, what does sin rob man of ultimately? It's community. Because the first thing that happens when Adam and Eve sin is they don't, they don't eat of the apple and then go rob a liquor store. They eat of the forbidden fruit. They say, God, we're going to do things our own way. They rebel against God. And what breaks is harmony, unity. It says before they rebel against God that they were naked and unashamed in the garden. There was no shame. Someone say shame. There's no shame. And then all of a sudden, they sin and what comes upon mankind is shame. They're now hiding from each other. They're now pressing people away from themselves because there's shame. Well, guess what God wants to correct? He created you in the image of God. You're longing for a community, but you can't experience community because you've sinned and you have shame. Well, Jesus, the Father sends Jesus. They're all involved. The Father sends Jesus. Jesus goes and pays the price on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sin. Washed, it says, of your sin and shame. And then the Spirit of God fills you with the power of God to go live the life that God has called you to where you now begin to walk in forgiveness, walk in holiness, shame-free, where now I can experience what God created me to experience in the garden, which is community once again. Because I'm not hiding from you anymore. Instead, I know what grace is. I know what grace is. And I can be okay with not being okay. I could be okay with sharing instead of hiding from you and I'm sharing with you. I'm doing life with you. I'm beginning to experience a little bit more of the image of God pressed upon me in the community of God and the people he put around me. So you are never gonna get away from that your best life is lived in community with the body of Christ Uh, because you're creating the image of God. All of this plays into what you're experiencing inside of you. So you hear me all the time talk about you know, small groups and, and, and you know, you got to get into a team and all of this. And I'm not doing that just because we want our teams big or we want our small groups to be like, I'm doing that because we love you. And we can show up on a Sunday morning and sit here and I'm so glad you're here and you can show up online and be with us there. But I'm telling you, you're, you're only scratching the surface of what God has for you, okay, when you step into community. That's where it's meant to be lived. Let me give you one last one and we'll close, okay? Here's another takeaway is this, is that, God fully expects for you and I to live what I'm going to call the Trinitarian, a Trinitarian life. That in our walk with God, in our worship of God, there's a Trinitarian walk, a Trinitarian worship. What do I mean by that? A lot of us like to start playing favorites when it comes to God. Okay, and I promise you I'll close right here. Here's what happens. As we go, God the Father. Oh yeah, that's like Old Testament. And God was always mad and been out of shape. And like he'd open up the earth and swallow, the earth would swallow people. And that sounds kind of scary. So I don't know. Plus I had a really bad relationship with my father growing up. And that kind of sounds scary. Holy Spirit, whoa, okay. Now I've been to those churches. There's people swinging from chandeliers and running. I, I've been there. That's, that's weird. Jesus, okay, like he forgave people. He fed people. I like forgiveness. I like food. Somebody give me Jesus, right? We're like, that's where I want to land. But listen, scripture actually goes, no, live it. You need to walk with God in a Trinitarian lifestyle. You have a Trinitarian God. You need to let God be your father. Why? Because he is a father. And he's a good father. And you have to be okay with the fact that he wants to father you. Let God, the father, father 
you. Matter of fact, when we're taught to pray, Jesus said, pray this way, Abba, Father, which literally means you're going, Daddy. And some people are super uncomfortable with that. But there's a, there's a sediment there that God is trying to draw you into. Let me father you. Man, I, don't, I, I know. Listen, your dad might not have been everything you'd hoped you'd be, you hoped he'd be, but your heavenly father is the perfect father. He's a good father. Let him father you. Okay? Others of you, Holy Spirit, it's just kind of, I don't get it, and it's kind of, kind of spooky and weird. And you hear people talk about the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, correct this in you or with us, okay? So a lot of people go, well, you know, and, and then it, like they talk about the Spirit of God like an it, like in, and then it, and they came into the room. No, 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 he, he. Spirit of God is a personality. Spirit of God is God. Spirit of God is, is he, not like use the force, Luke, it, right? <laughs> Spirit of God, use the force. No, come on, he, the person of God in the, in, the form of the, in, in the spirit of God. And you need to have a life that's open to the spirit of God, the, the triunity walk with God. You see, because the spirit of God is the one who fills us, who leads us. The Spirit of God, it tells us that we're to live in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. We're to bear the fruits of the Spirit and that through the Spirit we say yes to God and no to sin. You're not gonna possibly be able to say no to sin and yes to God unless you're filled with the Spirit of God and walking in the Spirit of God. Through the Spirit of God is what we, where we cry out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit of God I put off the old life and on the new life and that's all given to me by He who is the Spirit of God working in me. Remember he said, uh, He will be with you and in in you, Jesus said. And if you're just always the Spirit of God, Spirit of God stuff, you're not then experiencing everything, the totality of, of who God is in your life and who he wants to be in your life. And so he's a Trinitarian God and you need to walk with God in a Trinitarian way. You open up your life to all of who God is. Many of you are not content with a God who's mysterious. You want three steps to God's will, four steps to understanding God's sovereignty. And guys, listen, he's not gonna fit in your mind. The reality is he doesn't go to those boxes. He lives outside our boxes and you just need to be in awe once again of who he is. Okay? Be close. There's some things that we can't possibly understand about God, but aren't you grateful that the God, who is, the God who is so vast and God who is so beyond me and God who in some sense is so unknowable makes himself known. Like there are some things that I can be certain of, although there are some things I'm not totally certain of. So I can be certain of this. I'm certain of the fact that he loves me. I am certain of the fact that in his mercy, he did everything that needed to be done to draw me back into a relationship with him, the relationship I broke because of my sin, that I am certain that Jesus, that, all, that God the Father sent Jesus and Jesus went to the cross for my sin. He paid the price for my sin so that I can be forgiven of the sin that separated me from him. I am certain that the Father sent the Son and the Son died on the cross for my sin so I can be forgiven of my sin and of my shame. And I am certain that Jesus rose again and I am certain that he, he ascended to heaven. I am certain that he sent his spirit to dwell within every believer to lead me and guide me and fill me and empower me and be with me and comfort me and walk with me. I'm certain of some really good truths. Although I stand in awe of some other truths 
I hold tightly to the things he's revealed to me. So does it all make sense? No. Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely.